Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week I want to thank S. S, you didn't give me anything but your first initial, but thank you so much for being the latest person to support us over on Patreon. If you love this show, you can hear bonus episodes two a month, off the cuff and raw, answering your questions, and this month, letting you even help produce the show by choosing what author we're going to hear from next. Two episodes bonus a month over on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You can find a link in the show notes. Thank you so much to all of you who have pitched in to keep this show alive. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And we are still talking about Elizabeth Miki Brina's book, Speak Okinawa, because we just cannot get over some of the topics that she raised in that book. Yeah, I mean, the whole interview just made me think about so many things and it just brought up so many ideas and thoughts that a lot of things that we haven't really covered on this show. I mean, I thought we had talked about everything expat related, but oh no, I guess not. I did my mini episode last week about this topic as well. So check that out if you haven't already. Yes. And the original episode called Speak Okinawa. But we're going to expand even further today, looking more at the differences that happen and uh, maybe disadvantages that happen when you have a cross-cultural marriage sometimes cross-racial, sometimes cross-cultural. Obviously, Tiffany living in Italy, being from the United States, but married to an Italian, is it a cross-cultural marriage? Yes. So you actually had named a few other things that popped to mind. Um, where do you want to start? Well, I just, it's, it struck me when Elizabeth was talking about how You know, she was kind of embarrassed of her mom, particularly the fact that she couldn't speak English very well. Of course, this is when she was a child, not now. But, you know, seeing her as being very different, it struck me that certain cultures, let's say certain countries are seen, whether we want to admit it or not, in a more positive or more negative light. And I see this on my side in Italy because if you are from America or from Britain or probably also from Australia, Canada, and I know those are all English-speaking countries, but there might be other countries. That's what I'm thinking about right now, but I'm sure there are others. But if you're from one of these countries, but particularly an English-speaking country, you are forgiven for maybe not speaking the language fully. Because I feel like if you're in the United States as as well, you know, if you're in the United States and someone is, let's say, a Spanish speaker from Mexico or from Central America, and they don't speak English very well, they speak with quote-unquote broken English, which is an expression I particularly hate, Mm -hmm. it's almost like they are immediately assumed to be less intelligent, yes. you know, than someone who's speaking perfect English because they they grew up there, right, you know. Right, yeah. And I think the same is probably true for people from Asia, mm-hmm. people from China, people from Japan. If they're not speaking fluently, perfectly, one hundred percent, almost without accent, they're going to be almost subconsciously judged by people, not everybody, but by a lot of people, as being less intelligent and being, you know, being judged for that. And here in Italy, the same is true for certain countries. The same is true for, let's say, Romania, Albania. There are certain sort of like countries that are looked down upon by Italians, sometimes consciously, sometimes 
almost unaware racism that can happen or nationalism or whatever you want to call it. But if you're an English speaker, if you're from, especially from America, which is sort of seen as this, you know, golden Mm -hmm. country. (laughs) Major advantage. Yeah, Yeah. it's an advantage. And of course, obviously, if you can't speak Italian at all, that's a problem that's going to pop up in your life and you're going to have problems. But let's say you speak Italian okay. You speak broken Italian. You have an accent. You have a strong accent. You got most of the words, but maybe your grammar is not like 100% there. And, you know, let's say you're a mom and, you know, you're married to an Italian and you have a child and you're talking with the other moms at the school. If you're an American, someone might judge you and be like, wow, she doesn't speak very good Italian for someone who lives here. But that's not going to color their whole judgment of you. It's not going to color the way that they see you as a person and for your intelligence on the whole. Of course, I can't speak for everyone. Because being American or being a native English speaker in general is an amazing bonus it's a cachet. It's something that is desirable. It's sort of like if you're in the United States and somebody has a French accent, mm-hmm. there's something desirable about that. There's something, oh, that's charming. You know, that's romantic. As long as, you know, they can speak more or less. If they make it a mistake, like you don't really care. Most people don't really care. They think it's charming. They think, oh, this is an intelligent person. I know it's not fair, but there are certain countries that people have this, it's a bias. And some people have. And so I feel like me being an American or looking at my other expat friends who maybe don't speak Italian quite as well, they're not going to be judged in the same way that Elizabeth's mom was in the United States for not being able to speak English and properly. And I wonder about Aurelio as well. Like, I wonder... I make mistakes in Italian sometimes, and he corrects me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it only took five years to happen. That's great. Yeah, it's hilarious when it happens. But he, I, I mean, of course, he's only five yet, and so maybe this will change. But I don't feel like he would be totally ashamed of me for making mistakes now and then. Who knows, though? Is it different if you're the parent? Let's say your Italian wasn't as good as it is, and as he gets to be a teenager, does your mistakes start to be more and more embarrassing? I could see how it would be slightly different for the child of yes. the immigrant versus the culture at large. That is true. I don't know. I have a total side question, actually. This might be impossible to answer. But as a native English speaker, we so often can recognize what an accent is, like a French accent speaking English or a Spanish accent or an Indian accent or a Vietnamese accent. We can recognize those differences in how people speak English. Would you be able to recognize an English accent in Italian? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. What does it sound like? Is there any way to, to like demonstrate yeah. how Italian would sound by an Italian versus Italian by an English speaker? I mean, definitely the R's are going to be very, they're going to sound very harsh. Mm-hmm. R, R, you know, because <laughs> that sound, R, doesn't exist in Italian. In fact, I have to, when I'm working with Aurelio and, you know, trying to get him to read, like he automatically, even though he speaks English, when he sees the R, he wants to go to R, you know, mm-hmm. and I have to be like, R, <laughs> R, I sound like a, I sound like a pirate. <laughs> and so he'll do the, the English version of the R. Definitely that. And we have diphthongs. I mean, they have diphthongs too in Italian, but our vowels are not pure. Mm-hmm. They change. Okay, the word, I think I've said this before in a, in a previous episode, the word no in, in English, the O goes into an, a U at the end. O, U. If you listen to it, you say no. Mm-hmm. You don't say no. No is how you would say it in Italian. No, it's a pure O. 
in English we say no. And so actually when Aurelio writes in English, he writes like that. He writes N-O-U is how he would write no in Italian, in, in English, sorry, because that's how he hears it. Uh-huh. And so there's that as well. There's the, the movable vowels that are sort of always changing. So can, can you give us an example, like say an Italian word properly and say it like you would if you were an American? <laughs> I mean, I know you are an American. <laughs> I am. Technically, oh, this is in but. English. I've been told by others that your accent is sort of Florentine. Me? I have a Florentine accent? That's strange. Well, maybe because the Florentine accent is the, like, technically the Florentine Italian is the classic Italian. Yes. That's like the standard of the whole country. And everywhere else is dialect. Right. I definitely try to avoid speaking Roman dialect because I can't stand it. You don't like the clippy ends of the Roman dialect? I don't like how they cut off the end of the verb. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, they don't say fare, they say fa. Mm-hmm. I just don't like it. I don't like that. I don't like the shortening of the word. I'm not into, I'm not really a slangy person. I like to speak properly. And I get on my son's case. Every time he tries to speak Roman, I'm like, N-O, you're not, you're not talking like that. <laughs> N-O-U, no. <laughs> no, N-O-U. And then he goes over to my in-laws and he starts speaking Neapolitan. Oh my God, it's hilarious. That actually is kind of cute. I don't mind Neapolitan accent as much. Well, what is that? What's the Neapolitan accent? Oh, I mean, the Neapolitan accent, strangely enough, is very, it's much closer to French Mm. than classic Italian. There's some French inflections and some French sort of style. I can't describe it, but it's definitely more Frenchified, Frankified than uh, than classic Italian. Okay, you know it's a port city and it was occupied by France for a number of, of a number of years. But um, back to you doing the American accent on an Italian word. Like, can we think of a word? Um, like andare. That's a good one. Andare to go. Andare. 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 That's how I would say it. <laughs> well, you wouldn't say it quite so badly. <laughs> yes, I would. I can't roll my R's. You just have to d- pretend it's a D then. Pretend it's a D with the tip of your tongue. Andare. Yeah, there you go. You did it. Perfect. And what's the other one? I was going to Capelli. Hair. Capelli. 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 They don't do the double consonant. In Italian, when you have a double consonant, you dwell. You dwell on it. So you don't say Capelli. You say Capelli. You dwell on that L. You hold it longer. What about every American living in Italy's favorite word, which is, you know. Uh, I don't know. Allora. Allora. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Americans do use that a lot. Allora. Uh-huh. I mean, but Italians use it too. It's a very common word just to say, to fill, to fill space when you don't know what to say. Allora. It's like, well then, or okay then, all right. It's a good filler. Yeah. But back to the topic at hand, I'm not sure how we got on that tangent, but that is something that really struck out to me when I was listening to that interview. It was like, what would the difference be if it were a different country? Mm -hmm. And would people be more forgiving? Would people be more accepting, more patient? Right. Like if her mother had been, her father had been American and her mother had been French, would her experience in America be wildly different. I mean, it's like comparing apples and oranges, really, because, you know, France is a, is a Western country like the United States. And so the culture is so much closer. And it would have been easier for a French person to assimilate into American culture in general than a Japanese person or someone from even a more remote part of Japan, Okinawa. It used to not even be part of Japan. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Another thing that you mentioned before we even got started, though, that I thought was so interesting you were saying 
even from your own experience of living <clears throat> living in a cross-cultural marriage that automatically you both not being from the same place puts you at a disadvantage yeah if you're living if you're not living in your own country i don't want to say your status is lower it's not quite that black and white but there is a power imbalance because you're sudden you are not on your home territory it's like when you're playing on your home field you know you always have that advantage I mean, even in my case, and I lived in Italy for four years before I met my husband, and I had an apartment, and I had a job, and I had a bank account, and I paid my bills, and I had a codice fiscale. I did not have legal um, standing, (laughs) but I had a lot of other stuff. I had the trappings, and I knew where to go. I knew the city. I could speak the language. I mean, I was already so far ahead. Nevertheless being with him it's like it's still his territory it's his turf and if there's ever a question it's no honey you got to do it like this especially if it's like bureaucracy stuff or sometimes stuff that's um, subtle you know customs and manners and things like that what's acceptable what isn't acceptable he's kind of got the last word and it puts me at a disadvantage i mean not that he takes advantage of it but it creates the opportunity of there being a, a major power imbalance in a relationship. And that's in like the best case scenario. Uh, worst case scenario, you know, you have someone who doesn't speak the language, who moves there to be like in Elizabeth's parents' case, moves to a new country that they've never been to before, not because they love that country and love that culture, but because they want to be with that person. And total fish out of water. I happen to love Italy. I happen to have a major affinity for the culture, but you know, other people might not. And you don't have any friends. You don't have any family members. You don't have your tribe. You don't have uh, your support system. And then, of course, you don't understand the country, and especially in, a, in two such different cultures as, the United, as American culture and Japanese culture. There's so many different uh, cultural aspects and social aspects. You know, it would be so easy to not be able to navigate that world if you haven't spent any significant amount of time there and you don't have a guide really you don't even have a person there that speaks your language to take you around yeah exactly and hopefully you're in a situation where your spouse is wonderful and your spouse is patient and and explains things to you and you know hopefully you have wonderful in-laws and stuff but that's not a given and you know you could end up in a situation where you are this the word that I mentioned in the bittersweet moment was sort of like an appendage. Like you're not your own person, really. How can you have your own life in a situation like that? And God forbid your spouse should leave you and you have children. You can't just up and take your children home with you back to your home country. Most of the time that's not you know legal unless your spouse is willing to let you. And that's not generally going to happen. So, you know, what would happen? You would, I mean, I can't even imagine how terrifying it would be if you hadn't had the chance to learn the language and, you know, you don't even want to be in that country in the first place and you're trapped. It's like, it's like a recipe for disaster, really. And I mean, I don't want to scare people away from moving abroad for love because it's great. I know a lot of people who've done it successfully, but it's a huge risk. Yeah. I was actually thinking about this with, um, so let's say you and Claudio do one day move back to the United States. Claudio speaks English better now than he did when I first met him. But there is a, there will be a major learning curve for him finding another job 
and things like that in the United States, I would imagine. And just adjusting to the culture. Right. I mean, and it's not as different as Japanese culture would be to American culture, but it is different. And like, especially, I mean, especially in the workplace, I feel like the culture is very different. In American culture, there's much more of a sense of like proactiveness, going after promotions, very, very hard work ethic, you know, just being very committed to your profession. In Italy, not that people don't work hard because they do, but it's a much more of a sort of like you show up, you do the work, you're probably not going to get promoted, you're probably not going to get a raise anytime soon, but you do the bare minimum. I'm kind of being stereotypical. It's probably not as extreme in either direction, but that's sort of the general pattern. Yeah. So, I mean, does that give you pause about moving here? Of course. And by here, I mean Seattle, but (laughs) (laughs) because hopefully if you came home, you'd just come straight back. Yeah, because Seattle is so affordable. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) But it is beautiful. It is beautiful. But yeah, I mean, does that give you pause knowing the imbalance that would shift in the other direction? Or... Hey, I would love to suddenly be on top. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to ask. Or... Is it appealing to you, the idea that one day, you know, the stuff that was falling to him would fall to you? Kind of, because I know he used to say, especially years ago, when like the idea of moving to the States was not even like on the table. Sometimes he used to say, look, when we're in America, we'll do it your way. We're in Italy, we're going to do it my way. And I don't, I don't mean to say he said that about every single thing, but about specific things that he really felt he knew better about, mm-hmm. he would say that quite a bit. You know, there's like a problem on our, on our electric bill. He's like, let me deal with it because I know how to deal with it here. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't deal with it the way that you think that it could be dealt with in the United States. Let me do it. Things like that. Wow, I would say that's an advantage for you. <laughs> well, okay, that's, that's probably a bad example because there are, there are plenty of others that, you know, might not be such unpleasant things to have to deal with yeah decisions to be made i'll probably if we ever do move to the states throw that in his face from time to time and be like when we were in italy we did it your way now we're doing it my way (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly or just be like let me explain to you how things work here let me just explain it because you don't know not to be rude about it but just to put the shoe on the other foot for a change did he ever explain anything to you that you didn't know oh for sure for sure i can't think of anything in examples off the top of my head but but definitely, there are certain certain subtle things. No examples come to mind? Well, okay, one thing. <laughs> um, he's very, very reluctant to have people who deliver things come into the house. Uh, and I'm not talking about Amazon because they don't, they don't come in. You know, but like let's say we're having furniture delivered or... Not so much a repairman because those, you know, like a plumber, those are those are true professions, you know, people who have serious professions that they follow. But like delivery people, he's very distrustful of any, any delivery person because he thinks that they likely have friends and they, they you know, they, they'll say, okay, this is what the apartment looks like and this is where the door is and this is where that is and there's just two people living there and there's this window that maybe, you know, things like that. And we had some stuff delivered once and some furniture when we first moved in and actually we'd been there a while so we had most of the stuff up and my husband's father was a police officer and his grandfather was a financial, I don't know what they call it, like a finance police officer. It's a different different section of the police here. And he has their um, police hats in like a little case with lots of different objects. It's not just the police stuff, but he has these two real, clearly authentic police 
caps on this little shelf in the living room behind glass. And these two guys come in. And I, of course, totally missed this. But he said that they glanced at each other. They were looking around, looking around. And then they saw that. And they kind of each shared a look as if to say, let's not bother. Like there's police in this house. Uh (laughs) Um, I don't know if that's true, but that, you know, he's very suspicious about things like that. And I think Italians generally are more suspicious because there is more petty crime here. There is more thievery. There's less violent crime. There's less gun crime. But there is quite a lot of like housebreaking, house burglaries. Also, uh, he always used to say, you know, be very careful when you're walking down the street with your purse. If somebody's coming if you hear so, like a motor scooter coming your direction, either switch your purse to the other side or you know, kind of move away a little bit. And I really thought that he was exaggerating. And then I saw it happen to somebody. Some guy, and it actually happened to me. Actually, now that I'm saying that, it happened to me. I was just on my bike. That's why I didn't remember. He used to always say this too. He says, when you put your purse in your bike basket, put the straps of the purse around the handles. And I remember the guy who sold me the bike and who repaired my bike used to say the same thing. I'd be like, I'd go in and have my bike repaired and he'd say, put your purse handles around the handlebars. And I'd be like, yes, sure, 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 sure. Sweet Italians. They're so so paranoid. You're so paranoid. (laughs) And then I was, I was on my bike one day and this motorcycle, motor scooter came and he was going against the traffic. Probably why I wasn't expecting him. And he just grabbed my purse right out of my basket. My passport was inside, my keys. I had to get my locks changed. It cost me 300 euros because I had like one of those ancient locks. But anyway, so it's true. A lot of this stuff is just true. Like you don't, you, know, you want to say, oh, they're exaggerating, they're paranoid. But sometimes it's just true. There is just so much more of this petty crime here. Okay, so let's say hypothetically that you do move to the United States. Not knowing, of course, what state you'll land in, which will make a big difference. But how do you think Claudio will be perceived by American people? Um, well, you know, I think that Italians, like French people, are very well loved by Americans. I think it's a general. There's just there are a couple cultures that that Americans just love, and, and Italian Italy is one of them. And you know, everybody's been to Italy, or they know someone who's been to Italy, or they dream of going to Italy. You know, and so many people have Italian relatives, and so when they meet Italians, they're always like, "Oh my God, my second cousin lives in you know Mantua." Like, "Oh my gosh," you know, or "Oh, I loved you know they all oh, they love Italian either they love Italian food or they love Italian." movies or they love Italian music. There's just like the culture is so well loved in the States that I think that he would be okay. Plus there are a lot of Italians in the States. You know, there's a lot of Italian immigrants. You know, usually they're second generation. There's not tons of first generation Italians anymore, but there's enough that, and again, like you said, it depends on where, but I think that they're pretty, they're pretty well liked and there is a little bit of a cachet there, just like Americans in Italy. There's a, there's a mutual love between Italy and, and America that, you know, I think goes back at least to the time of the war, if not earlier. So I think that that would be a positive aspect for him. What I don't know is like how Aurelio would react if, you know, he felt like his dad didn't speak English as well as maybe he should. Mm-hmm. Right. If he's correcting your Italian, then exactly going to be like even older with his father who doesn't speak English as well as you speak Italian. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I really was so cute when my father-in-law tries to speak English. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
because my father-in-law really can't speak English, but he can say a couple of words and a couple of phrases and his accent is just terrible. And every time he tries to say something and it comes out funny, Aurelio gives me this like side glance and we both just start cracking (laughs) up and my my father-in-law's a very good sport and he can laugh at himself. So maybe like Elizabeth Miki Brina and her father who would often laugh at her mother's pronunciation of things. As sort of like their bonding. Oh. That's one of the things she writes about in the book was that her and her father bond over many things. We didn't get into her father very much, but he plays a pretty prominent role in part of the book. Basically, they hang out together. They're almost like a team. They're really good friends with each other. Mm-hmm. And the result of that is her mother, who's already being alienated by her daughter because she finds her so embarrassing, mm. is equally alienated by the fact that her daughter and her husband are like a, a team, a real friendship. She's just sort of the, the third wheel that occasionally they laugh at. Oh my gosh, I'm like breaking my heart. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I should say in my defense that... <laughs> you're not making fun of Claudio, you're making fun of Claudio's father. A, it's his father, and B, you know, it's not like we live in the States and he's desperately trying to fit in. True, yes. We're in Italy and he speaks English for fun, right? not because he needs the language to survive. And no, we would not make fun of, of Claudio. And thank you, though, for the warning, just in case I was tempted to make fun of Claudio with Aurelio in future, we will make sure not to do that. Yes. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? I do know uh, one very quick story. I have a friend who is Mexican-American, and she looks very Mexican. And even though she was born and raised in California, she speaks with a tiny, tiny bit of a Mexican accent. And she lives over here in in Rome, and she's married to a Roman. But he looks like he could totally pass for a Mexican. He's got very, very dark hair, not like Claudio's, which is much lighter. And they were on the beach in L.A., where she's from, and they had a couple beers out, you know, which, of course, is not allowed, but, you know, come on. It's not such a big deal. And this police Jeep that I guess can drive on sand just came out of nowhere and was speeding towards them because, of course, they saw that they had a cooler and they suspected that they had beer. And they get there and they start questioning them and they're just so, they were so belligerent to them. They said, well, you know, where are you from to her? And she said, I'm from L.A. or I'm from Huntington Beach or wherever she's from. And they said, Tim, where are you from? And he's like, oh, I'm from Italy. And they're like, oh, you're from Italy? Oh, my gosh, I went to Italy on vacation last summer. Their attitude changed 180 degrees. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing is they were treating the American citizen, because she was of Mexican descent, poorly. Mm -hmm. And they're treating a foreigner, because he's Italian, Well, I mean, that just, when they told me that story, I was like, I cannot believe that. I mean, I can believe it, but it's just awful. It's awful. It's really, really awful. Yeah. But I guess it shows how well-loved Italians are. (laughs) Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's all very complex and interesting. We are going to be giving away two copies of Speak Okinawa, Elizabeth Miki Brina's book. So follow us on social media to find out in the coming weeks how you can win a copy of that. And, or, you know, just order it. (laughs) (laughs) It's available where all books are sold. Go into your local bookshop. Yep. Make sure you follow us on social media. 
Uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We do book giveaways about once a month or so, and we don't have tons of participation. So your odds of winning are good. That means your <laughs> odds of winning are amazing. Yeah, I think we've had somebody win more than once, I think, I want to say. Yes. The books are always so quality. They're always such good books because Katie only picks the best books. That's right. So make sure you follow us there and sign up for our newsletter as well. Uh, if you have not already, just came out today. If you if you contact us within today, I will forward it to you and get you on the news li- the list for next month. So make sure you do that. If you are interested, you can just write to us at bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. There's also a, a contact button on our website, thebittersweetlife.net, if that's easier for you. Yes, newsletter always tells you uh, what... Tiffany and I are thinking about reading oftentimes includes things that are not included in the show. So fun. Once a month, we say hello. All right. And we'll leave it there. And until next time, this is The Beer Sweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Please share the show. Tell your friends and family about this great discovery that you've made. And if you own a business, consider sponsoring the show. Sponsoring is a great way to reach an educated and diverse group of wonderful people living all over the United States and the world. Send us a note at bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. That's bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or visit the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net.